الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونتوب اليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم اما بعد as Brother Abdul Qadir mentioned, uh, we had a break in the series of lectures which we were doing on fiqh uh, due to my traveling and then uh, my illness, which often for Allah seems to come over. Uh, the, I wanted to continue today with the fiqh lessons on uh, salah, but uh, realizing that uh, the number of brothers normally tend seem to be less today, perhaps because of the rain. Uh, I decided we'll just, just do a general lecture on another topic. And the topic which I decided to choose is a hadith of the Prophet of, of great importance. Uh, the hadith states, uh, the Prophet said, ذَاقَ طَعْمَ الْإِمَانِ مَنْ رَضِيَ بِاللَّهِ رَبًّا وَبِالْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا وَبِمَحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمْ نَبِيًا So the Prophet said, he has tasted the sweetness of faith, or he has tasted the relish or the taste of faith, he who is pleased that Allah is his Lord and that Islam is his religion and that Muhammad sallallahu is his prophet. But this hadith is of great importance because without doubt as Muslims uh, we testify to the uh, pillars of faith. We say we believe in Allah and that we believe in his angels and his scriptures and his messengers and the last day we believe in his qadr, his decree and the uh, good and evil outcome of what he has decreed. Uh, however, though, that is realization of these matters in our heart and to testify to these matters by our tongue is one matter. And to actually feel faith in one's heart to so that sense that it fills one's soul and it becomes a light which he guides his life with and gives him sure sightedness in this world and will take him to paradise in the hereafter is another matter. And the Prophet ﷺ said that showed us that when do we sense faith in our heart that if we are pleased with three matters the first matter the Prophet said that he has tasted the sweetness of faith he who is pleased that Allah is his word that's the first matter and the second matter that Islam is his religion and the third matter that Muhammad وسلم, is his prophet his prophet and indeed the Prophet encourages us to say um, this formula in Arabic, when we hear the mu'adhan, the person saying the adhan, say, Ashhadu an la ilaha Allah, and Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, in one hadith of Prophet ﷺ, he said that we should say, Radhitu billahi rabban, wabil islami deenan, wabil Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam nabiyan, that I am pleased with Allah as my Lord, and Islam as my religion, and the Prophet Muhammad, uh, and Muhammad as my Prophet. So what I'd like to do is in the next uh, half an hour or 45 minutes or so, uh, sort of shed some light on these three pillars in this hadith. So that if we understand what it means to be pleased that Allah is our Lord, and to be pleased that Islam is our religion, and to be pleased that Muhammad is our Prophet, perhaps then we can check each one of us uh, can sort of do some introspection and see has he tasted faith in his heart or not. And if not, then he'll have a criterion, at least, or the basis of a criterion, which he can see worse is he falling short so that he may feel that uh, feeling and that taste of uh, faith in his heart. 
Um, as far as being pleased that Allah is one's Lord, uh, this is based upon being pleased in the three matters. The three matters. The first matter is that we are pleased that Allah is our wali. Okay? And al-wali in this sense means, um, well, what's the, what does the word wali mean in Arabic? Or wali is the more correct pronunciation. Um, it comes from being close to something. In Arabic you say this, this thing, yali hadha. This thing is close to this. Okay? So when you're saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our wali, it means that we have taken him as our object of worship. Our object of worship. So that all acts of worship are only directed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to none other. And worship, of course, or the word in Arabic is ibadah, is a general term, a comprehensive term, and it means whatever Allah is pleased with or loves. Whether those deal with matters of belief, actions of the heart, uh, sayings upon the tongue, or uh, actions of the limbs, actions of the limbs. So, therefore, faith in Allah is an act of worship. Faith in the Prophet Muhammad is an act of worship. Fear of Allah. Love of Allah. Hope of Allah's mercy. Re- relying and depending upon Allah, which is a tawakkul. Uh, are all acts of worship. And likewise, to believe the different acts of uh, matters of belief, right? Belief in the angels, the scriptures, the messengers, the last day are all acts of worship. And to say upon the tongue, to uh, acknowledge one's beliefs, or to recite the Qur'an, or to praise Allah, or to thank Allah by saying, saying, SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha Allah, and words of such, uh, words of such, uh, or such words, uh, are all acts of worship. And likewise, uh, the different acts of worship we do with our limbs, like prayer, and making wudu, uh, ablution before prayer, purifying ourselves, and fasting, which we've just completed the month of the fast, may Allah accept our fast and our prayers. And likewise, um, waging um, jihad in the path of Allah and commanding good and forbidding evil and uh, performing hajj and giving zakah these are all acts of worship so the acts of worship are a great number indeed and you cannot really count them all Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us that we may worship him alone and we give all these acts of worship to him alone and to none other and this is the purpose of our existence Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّةِ in the 51st surah of the Quran, Allah says, I have not created jinn nor man except to worship me. And here, worship me means worship me alone and not worship others with me. Because some people might worship Allah, but they might worship with him others. And that's shirk, which I'll come to uh, shortly, uh, which is the only sin that Allah does not forgive. So, the, the first aspect of being pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our Lord, is to make sure that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our only object of worship our only object of worship. In the sense that your heart is directed only to submitting and worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, uh, and here we find the verse in the Quran in Surah Al-An'am where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu to say, he says, قُلْ say O Muhammad, meaning to the people, to mankind, to the Muslims and non-Muslims, إِنَّ صَلَاتِ وَنُسُخِ وَمَحْيَاءَ وَمَمَاتِ مِنْ اللَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ لَا شَرِكَ لَهُ وَبِذَلِكَ أُمُرْتُ Say to them, O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that my salah, my, my prayers, and my nusuk, which means my sacrifice, my slaughtering, and my life, and my death, belong only to Allah, who is the Lord of Al-Alameen, which means all beings. Uh, he has no partners. And in that I've been commanded. In that I've been commanded to make my prayers, and my 
slaughter and my life and my death only for him, only for Allah. And I am the first of the Muslims, I mean, I'm the first one to respond to this command and I'm the one who's going to, who's completed this command to the fullest. So I'm the first of Muslims and the best of them because I've completed my submission. So this is a command to the Prophet Muhammad obviously it's also a command to us. So we have been therefore commanded by this verse that we make our prayers, our salah, and that we make our, our, our slaughter, our sacrifice, and we indeed make our whole lives and our death only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's a great uh, matter indeed. Now what, what perverts this, what perverts this um, uh, belief that Allah alone should be worshipped is two matters. One matter is when one directs some of his worship to other than Allah, openly. Whether he directs it to a prophet like the Christians today who, who wear their best garments and so forth and go out to the churches thinking that they are pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but yet instead take Jesus the son of Mary, a prophet sent by Allah as an object of worship or take his mother uh, Mary or if they are Catholics and so forth they take uh, the saints and so forth who, they, who they call saints uh, as intermediaries between them and Allah. So this is major sort of uh, denial of this principle, which is shit. Uh, the other way is, of course, and, and people also worship other things, like the Hindus worship cows, and, you know, some people worship stones, and other people worship trees, and people, some people in Africa are animists, they worship animal spirits and so forth, and the Chinese who worship ancestor worship and so forth. So the different acts, uh, different objects of worship in mankind are many. But the point is this negates taking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a relief or the object of worship. The second one is that, of course, the Muslim who might worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, however, he might do his acts not fully for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the sense that he does some of his acts for the praise of uh, other men. In other words, that they might say good words about him or they may see him and then he incurs some of his some praise from them. So his act is not purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what is known as riya, or showing off one's deeds. And this negates the deed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not accept that act which is not purely for him. And this is the meaning of the hadith of Prophet That actions are judged, the correct way to translate is by for whom they are intended. In other words, if the action is intended for Allah, Allah will accept it. But if the action is intended for Allah and somebody else, as Allah says in the, in the hadith al-Qudsi, that I am the richer of the two partners. Whoever does an act which he has associated somebody else with me, I lose him and his act. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no need for it. There is no need for our worship in the first place. In the sense, when we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're only doing good to ourselves. So I think that we're benefiting Allah by our worship. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His greatness and in His, uh, his majesty and His loftiness, he will not accept any act that has any uh, uh, impurity in it. Any act, any sort of associating anybody else with it. And that's why if that's done, he leaves that person the act. He will not accept it. It's rejected. Now, of course, the person who you've associated that act with, he's unable to reward you for these other things. If he's a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of Allah's creatures like you, and, and indeed you'll be punished and tormented by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for committing that act of shirk. So, and this is a very difficult matter because the ways in which Satan enters into the heart are many. And a person might start off with his act purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but then however, Satan might fool him while he's doing the act after he completes the act. I'll give you an example. Let's say a person, he went to make hajj purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
or he waged jihad purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or went and gave da'wah purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And especially for someone who made jihad, or gave a lot of charity. I mean, his initial motivation was only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He sought no praise, or he sought no uh, worldly benefit from that. However, though, when his act was done, of course, in public, in front of the people, uh, people began to praise him for his act. And then, he started to enjoy that praise. So his intention now moved from being pure to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to having some sort of react. And that could destroy the act. That could destroy all the blessings that he did, even though he initially started off and the act has been completed. So for instance, the person might go out and wage jihad in the path of Allah and was, I mean, you know, I mean, very, uh, very courageous in, on the battlefield and, you know, and was known for his acts of, you know, defending the Muslims and fighting, you know, and so forth. And so it became well known, you know, that how this man struggled and fought and strived. Or a person went to make Hajj, and it was obvious among the people who was making Hajj with that during his Hajj he reached a certain level of worship, where it was clear of his his um, submission and his remorse in front of Allah, and that you know he was crying and so forth. And his, you know, I mean, submission to Allah that was obvious. So even though his motivation, when people said they talk about it, it then his intention switched, even though he's completed the act, and he can lose his, his blessings for that. Or sometimes while a person is doing the act itself, a person enters a masjid, or, uh, or starts to read Qur'an, enters a masjid and starts to pray, or starts to read Qur'an, and uh, somebody enters. So that is first initial motivation of going to Allah. When that person enters, he starts to beautify his soul, or beautify his recitation, in order to gain the praise of that person. Or sometimes the person initially does the act, to gain some sort of praise of the people. He mentions something he did, not in the sense to encourage other people to imitate him in that, but he mentions them in order to gain some sort of praise of the people. Well, I did such and such. And this is a very uh, dangerous um, um, door which affects the righteous people and it affects the good people. You know. And that's why the Prophet said in a hadith to the companions, he says, the thing which I fear most for you is minorship. When asked concerning what is minor shirk, he mentions riya, or showing off one's acts. So the Prophet often feared for his companions, who are the greatest of uh, the generations of mankind, and the best of this community, the Prophet his community, uh, he feared the thing most for them is that they might do some sort of, have some sort of minor shirk in their acts of worship. He wasn't feared, afraid for them that they would apostate from their religion, he wasn't afraid from them that they would commit major shirk because the realities of Islam is clear to them. Okay? He wasn't afraid for them that they might um, deviate off the path due to them following their desires, worldly motivations, you know what I'm saying? In the sense that uh, the fitna of uh, wealth or worldly possessions or power or women or something might cause them to... But he was afraid for them that this matter of minor shirk might occur to them. That's because they were so pious, you see? the person who is doing a lot of acts of worship and the one who is very obedient to Allah, this is the one who, when it fears for that, he might fall into minor shirk. Because when Satan comes to move a person off the path, he does it in degrees. The first thing he tries to do is make the person a kafir, a disbeliever. And obviously, even with the disbelievers, he tries to set them astray by different degrees. He tries to set a person to call for his own self-worship, like Pharaoh. That's the most pleasing to him. And if he can't get into that, he calls a person to call other people to worship. Like, uh, like the Pope, for instance, who calls, 
who calls mankind to worship others with Allah. Okay, the priests of the Christians. And if he can't, if he can't make you, you know, become a preacher to a false religion, then he'll at least become a good servant in that false religion. Okay, if he can't make you do this major shirk, he tries to make you do minor shirk. And if he can't get you to do minor shirk, he tries to do you make you do major sins. And if he can't get you to do major sins, he tries to make you do minor sins. And if he can't get you to do minor sins, he tries to make you then not do the recommended actions, the recommended good deeds. Because you know, the good deeds, the, which we can command to, are two types. There are deeds which we are ordered to do, and if we do not do them, we're sinful. And there are deeds which we are encouraged to do, even if we, if we, if we neglect we're not sinful, but we lose the blessing. So he tries to make you give up that. And then if he can't make you do that, he tries to give up, let you uh, fall, do much of the things which are disliked. But I'm saying forbidden, but things which are disliked in Sharia, disapproved of. So you don't get a sin. And if he can't get you to do that, he tries to indulge you in things which you get neither reward for, nor um, um, uh, punishment for, no, you know, sinfulness for. So well, Satan tries to get you off the road many ways. So those people who are known for their piety and their worship, he tries to do it through by making their intention, which might, the initial motivation be only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to have some sort of minor shirk. And the earliest Muslims, those who we always encourage us, uh, ourselves to uh, understand the religion and practicalism like they understood, they used to, I mean, go to great deals in trying to make their intention purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that used to take, I mean, much of their thought and preoccupy them with, you know, uh, and also they would hear how they would often cry and so forth, not knowing that uh, if their acts are solely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or not. So the point is, well, what I want us to understand that in being pleased that Allah is our Lord, the first aspect is that we take Allah as our only object of worship, and that in that it means that we only give the acts of worship only to Allah, and we avoid any sort of minor shirk in our deeds. The second as, uh, aspect of being pleased with Allah as our Lord is that we take Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as our judge, our judge to whom we rule our affairs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our judge in three ways, in three ways. He's our judge in the sense that he is the judge on the day of judgment, right? We read in Surah Al-Fatiha, Maliki wa Medin, says that he's the owner uh, uh, of the day of judgment. He'll send some people to paradise and he'll send other people to hell. So he's our judge in that sense. In the second sense, he's our judge in the sense that he decrees for us certain matters. He decrees that someone, somebody will live 70 years, another person will live 20 years. He decrees that somebody will have a life of ease, since the Lord will bless him with much um, wealth and children and, and, and you know, uh, and other people he decrees that they have life of hardship. So they live in some poverty or they may not have much children and so forth. This is uh, for a great wisdom with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He decrees that some people are strong and some are weak, some people are uh, more intelligent than others, some people are uh, of a certain complexion and, uh, and others are of other complexions, some people are tall and so forth. This is all from Allah's qadr. All from his qadr. This is the second type of way that Allah subhanahu wa is our judge. Okay. Now, in these first two matters, you have no choice about whether you want to recognize that or not. I mean, in the sense that, for instance, you cannot now add uh, sustenance to you that Allah subhanahu wa has not decreed for you. Yes, Allah subhanahu wa has tied in causes with effects. So in the sense that if you get up and work, you'll make money. If you stay home and sleep, you're not going to get money. That's true. But the sense is that the, the, the sustenance that comes to you only comes from Allah subhanahu wa So that even if you give the causes, 
you act upon the causes, the results might not necessarily occur for why you not decree it. And sometimes it comes to you without even any cause from your own as a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa Now, and also in the sense of the day of judgment, whether people believe in Allah or believe in the day of judgment or not, on their judgment they'll be judged, whether they want to recognize that or not. So there's no choice in those two matters. But in the third matter, that Allah subhanahu wa judge in the sense that he declares for us what is lawful and what is forbidden. And how are we supposed to worship him? What is halal? What is haram? And what is the deen? So what is haram means what is lawful for us to do. What is haram, what is forbidden, what is the deen means how are we supposed to worship him? What is the way of life that we're supposed to um, abide by? So the second aspect of being pleased with Allah as our Lord is that we judge ourselves to his sharia, which is found in his course in his book, the Quran, and has been expounded upon by the Prophet Muhammad And this judging in his sharia is in many matters, in the sense that how you do your prayers, that you make sure that you pray as the Prophet prayed, Prophet said, pray as you see me pray. That's part of judging to a sharia. And also part of judging to a sharia is that, that the laws that Allah subhanahu has prescribed for, for instance, a murderer or for one who commits illicit sex or for the thief and so forth are also applied in society. Some Muslims, unfortunately, when they say that Allah is the judge or Allah is the ruler, they limit that only to these matters, to these prescribed punishments. Since that the hand of the thief should be cut and the adulterer should be stoned and the fornicator should be whipped and the murderer should be killed and so forth. And this is what they understand meaning Allah's judgment. And that's not, that's true, if that's part of Allah's judgment, that's not all of Allah's judgment. Allah's, Allah's judgment first and foremost is that you believe as you're supposed to believe, that you understand his names and attributes as he has described himself and following that you then worship him and following that, that you obey his prophet. And part of that obedience to his prophet and following his prophet is that when somebody causes some sort of major sin like this, which is a crime in society, that he's punished in a certain matter. And the fact that Muslims limit understanding Allah's judgment just to these matters is a misgrimmed understanding. Therefore, you, it's not uncommon to find uh, some Muslims are very um, zealous about uh, condemning uh, those Muslim countries, and rightly so, for not applying the law of Sharia and the prescribed punishment, but yet they, um, they find no shame that those Muslim countries or that their fellow brethren in the religion worshipped our dead men in their graves. And this is cause for misunderstanding of what does it mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our judge. And of course, and Allah is only to be worshipped. The third matter is when being the pleased that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our Lord is that we are pleased uh, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the sense that we only rely upon Him. This is what is known as a tuakul. Now, tuakul sometimes is translated as trust, if you find some of these translations like of the Quran, and sometimes it's translated as reliance. And the reality means both. A tuakul means to trust and then to rely. I might be able to trust a brother, but I might be able to depend upon him. In the sense that he cannot complete a task which I've given him. I mean, he's trustworthy. So I say to him, take these ten dollars and go to the store and buy something that we need. He's trustworthy. I'm not worried that he's going to put the money in his pocket and run away with it. But he's not dependable. If I'm to buy this object, I mean, you can't depend upon him, he goes buy something else. This is, uh, uh, so you cannot rely upon this person. The other thing, way is that a person might be dependable, in the sense that he, if you tell him to buy this thing or to do this thing, he knows clearly what it is and he can do it, but he's not trustworthy. In the sense that as soon as you turn your, your eyes away from him, he'll rip you off and run away, okay? Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we say we have tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is because it means we rely upon him, 
because we, uh, we put our trust in him that Allah says, I will answer our prayers and he will put forth what we ask and that also we depend upon him in the sense that he is uh, trustworthy. So it has both meanings to it. You say tuakul. So when somebody reads the Quran and when Allah says, Allah says, so have to record upon Allah. If you are truly believers, it means uh, rely, uh, means depend and trust in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Both meanings. So you have to understand both of them. And I mean, from that is that the, the understanding that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is the only one who can answer our prayers, and also it means not um, not turning one's heart to the, uh, the causes. In a sense, one's heart is upon Allah SWT. I'll give you an example. The Prophet's companions, the Prophet said that there is not a disease, nor a cure, except that Allah sent down a cure for it. So some of the companions misunderstood the issue of Qadr in this matter, and they said, Allah sent you Allah. And since Allah is the one who creates a disease, should therefore we take medicine? The Prophet said, take medicine, because medicine is part of Allah's Qadr. In the sense that everything which occurs, both the cause and the effect is Allah, from Allah's qadr. And this is one subject that will satisfy ourselves with that amount now. So, the point is, is that um, when one takes medicine, for instance, he has a headache and he takes aspirin, okay? The one who created the headache in his, in his head is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says that Allah decreed and permitted that certain chemicals would occur in his brain which would cause a certain pain that he feels in his head. And likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who created that these chemicals which aspirin consists of, removes that pain. Okay? But when one, even though one knows that Allah created that, that effect in that aspirin, his heart should be upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Since when you take that medicine in your mouth, okay, you take the medicine and you see Allah created the cure in that medicine. But your heart, your reliance is upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He is the one who's going to cure you. Meaning that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not decree that that medicine takes its effect, you could die. I mean, maybe not from a, from a headache, but from, uh, from another matter. I mean, for instance, you, there might be two people who have the same illness in the hospital, right? Same hospital room. And the doctor gives them the same type of uh, medication. One lives and one dies. Why? The medicine doesn't work for uh, this one person, but it works for another person. Why is that? Because Allah doesn't decree that this person, the medicine, will, uh, will help them, and decree that the medicine will help this person. So when one takes any cause which Allah has set up in the world, his heart is upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His heart is upon Allah. Whoever denies the causes, like the Sufis, he has um, some sort of, you know, um, insanity has come to him. For the person who thinks that, you know, he can just become cured without taking medicine. Or that he can have children without, you know, being married and having a relationship with his wife. Or that he can feel, uh, you know, um, close his hunger without eating. Or remove his thirst without drinking. And this person has some sort of, uh, you know, insanity. And for example, a person, if you told the person, he says, I'm hungry, and he doesn't want to go get food put in his stomach, he says, well, perhaps, eventually the hunger will go away. This person's crazy, okay? Whoever relies upon the causes himself, and believes that the causes, in and of themselves, they act, and forgets that Allah is the one who decrees that these causes fulfill the results, that the effect which you seek comes through, and therefore his reliance, his heart, is only upon the causes he's committed shirk, minor shirk. And the one who affirms the causes, he says, yes, Allah is the creator of all things, and he's created that if you put fire on water, it extinguishes the fire. But his reliance is upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, 
the sense that he didn't rely upon that cause itself, but he knows that it's only for law decrees that that cause comes through to its fullest, and the result that he wants will come occur. Uh, this is the one who worships Allah properly. So, the point is, is that being pleased that Allah is our Lord, which is the first aspect of this hadith, means that we are pleased that Allah is our only object of worship, our only one we judge to, and the only one who we have relied upon and put our trust into. So now a person should reflect. Does one always feel that his acts of worship are only done for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And then also, does one feel that he always is judging Allah's command, or the Prophet's command, the Prophet's command is an extension of Allah's command in his matters, in the sense that if he hears that Allah has commanded him something, or the Prophet has commanded something, or some understanding he had of Islam was a wrong understanding, that he is quick to submit and give up what he's done. And the third matter, in the sense that his reliance is only upon Allah and upon the, uh, his trust is only upon Allah, and he does not have his reliance and his trust in worldly matters. And the way you test this thing is when a hardship comes to you. When uh, some sort of emergency comes to you, if your heart is directed towards some human being that he's going to save you in the matter, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, hey, you got to come through with that loan because I got to take care of that bill tomorrow, and your heart is depending upon that person, then there's some sort of shift. Or when somebody takes a medication, you know, he just feels maybe the doctor will give some medications and I'll take care of this illness. And his, his heart is away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's, he's relying upon worldly causes. Yes, Allah has created those causes. If somebody loans you the money, take care of your needs. That's without doubt. And that Allah has created in these medications some sort of effects that remove illnesses. There's without doubt. But where is one's heart? Is one's heart upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or is his heart upon these worldly causes? The other matter I want to mention, which I've neglected to mention, is that um, in relying upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, people are three degrees. There are those who rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for sinfulness. For sinfulness. Uh, and this is, I mean, it might be hard to perceive, but uh, it occurs. I mean, people sometimes seek Allah's help to do evil acts. And they, you know, they ask Allah, oh Allah, assist me in trying to do some sort of evil act. Uh, the second group of those people who seek Allah's um, assistance in, in what? In, um, in, um, in worldly matters only. And they're no different than the animals. Because the animals also rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they're following their instincts which Allah has endowed them with in, 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 their, uh, in their affairs, like eating and drinking and sleeping and, 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 and uh, having uh, uh, children and so forth. So they rely upon Allah's endowed upon them and they rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as, uh, in their instincts that Allah has given them. The third category, which is the best category, uh, the category of the prophets and their followers, is that they rely upon Allah and worshiping Him. And this is the secret why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, You alone we worship, and from you alone we seek aid. Now, seeking aid is part of worship. Since that if you seek aid from somebody else in Allah, and what only Allah can do, you've committed major shirk. So if you seek aid from other than Allah, and what a person can do, and your heart is upon that person, you've committed minor shirk. So why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, Only you we worship, and only in you we seek aid? Meaning that, we seek aid in you, in our worship. In our worship, first and foremost. And that's why the Prophet Muhammad told Ma'ad, one of his companions, he said, Oh Ma'ad, I love you. He was obviously a great virtue for the Prophet's companion Ma'ad. The Prophet Muhammad would tell him, Oh Allah, oh, Ma'ad, I, I love you. 
He said, and so therefore, do not forget to say after every single salah, oh Allah, aid me in your worship, or aid me in your, in your remembrance, and in your thankfulness, and thanking you, and in worshiping you in the best manner. So here at this time of Ma'ad, that after he finishes his prayer, he should say this dua, oh Allah, aid me in remembering you, in being thankful, to, grateful to you, and in worshiping you in the best manner. This confirms that, you know, we seek aid in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his worship. And better than that, of course, is you seek Allah's aid in spreading your religion. Many Muslims, when they want to spread the religion of Islam, when they want to wage jihad or command good or forbid evil or call people to Islam or teach or whatever, they, they rely upon their own abilities, on their own abilities that Allah has endowed them. They rely upon um, worldly, uh, you know, uh, matters alone, and they forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore, you find, like, you know, most of the Muslims now, if you ask them, well, how can we revive this community of Islam, this Ummah, and how can we bring back, put this Ummah back in its proper place? They say, well, we need to know science, we need to know technology, and so on. So they're relying upon all their, their own means, and they're forgetting reliance upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and of course, fulfilling the religious obligations, which are first and foremost before fulfilling these worldly needs. Anyway, that's the first matter. I don't want to be too um, lengthy about being pleased as Allah, as our Lord. And if you look at Surah Al-An'am, the sixth surah of the Qur'an, that's going to be one of uh, YouTube. I mean, go back some time and check it while the subject is still fresh in your mind. Surah Al-An'am, uh, the sixth surah, is really a surah concerning Tawheed. If you look at it, you'll find in the beginning of the surah, like verse 15 or so, 16, uh, 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 it says, uh, Allah tells the to say, Shall I take other than Allah as my wali? And then in the middle of the surah it says, Shall I take other than Allah as my judge? And then the surah says, Shall I take other than Allah as my Lord? And these are the three pillars which I mentioned concerning this matter, which you find so in now. So that's the proof of those three matters. The second matter, of course, is that to be pleased that Islam is our religion. Islam is our religion. Indeed, Allah SWT has said in the Quran that He did not accept other than uh, Islam as a religion. He says that whoever comes in the day of judgment with other uh, religion other than Islam will not be accepted from him, and in the hereafter he'll be among the losers, meaning that he'll be in the hellfire. And the Prophet and Allah SWT also says in the third surah of the Quran that the religion with him is Islam. The religion with him is Islam. Now, somebody might find these verses uh, confusing, especially the verse that says that whoever comes to religion other than Islam, it will not be accepted from him. And in the hereafter he'll be among the losers. If he might say, well then, how is it that the people who followed the prophets previous to the Prophet Muhammad for instance, the Prophet Noah and his followers, the, the few people who were with him on, on the ship, on the ark, and the Prophet Abraham, and Ibrahim, السلام, and the few people like Sarah, his wife, and Hajar, his, uh, his handmaiden, uh, his two sons who were prophets, Ishaq and uh, Ismail, and of course uh, his cousin uh, Luke, uh, or Lot in English. Uh, how were they, you know, uh, people upon the truth? And likewise, Musa alayhi salam and the children of Israel, who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala freed from the bandage of uh, the Pharaoh and his people, the were Muslims and so on. So how is it that if these people, and, and also the Messiah, Isa the Nabi and his disciples, uh, how is it that these people we say are prophets and are going to paradise, and then at the same time we say that the religion with Allah is Islam, and that whoever comes to the religion other than Islam, uh, it will not be accepted from him and he'll be here after losers. Some Muslims might find some difficulty in, in putting the two together. 
The reason is, is that the meaning of Islam in those verses means general Islam. Because Islam is two types. There is a general Islam and there is a specific Islam. And we have to uh, distinguish between the two. General Islam means uh, to submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to surrender to Allah through tawheed and obedience to His Prophet. Whomever that Prophet may be uh, during that time. So Islam in the time of the time of Noah was to worship Allah alone to obey the Prophet Noah. And Islam in the time of Abraham, to Ibrahim alayhi salam, was to worship Allah alone and obey Ibrahim. And in the time of Moses, it was to worship Allah alone and to obey Moses. And in the time of Isa ibn Maryam, it was to worship Allah alone and obey Isa ibn Maryam. And of course, for in the, after the same of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Islam means to worship Allah alone and to obey the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So when each Prophet comes, the faith in the previous Prophet is required. Because they all came with the same message. But following the law of the previous Prophet, no longer is acceptable. If the, the Prophet after him was the Messenger, because when a Messenger comes, he comes with a new Sharia, new law. When a Prophet comes, he comes to confirm the previous law. That's the difference between Prophet and Messenger. Nebi means a Prophet has come who has been to confirm the previous law. And a Rasul comes with a new Sharia, he's changed the Sharia. Okay, so therefore, so these verses, when it says that the religion with Allah is Islam, or that whoever comes with a religion other than Islam will not be accepted from him, and in the hereafter, uh, he will be among the losers, it means the general Islam. Now, in terms for us, mankind, those who have lived after saying the Prophet Muhammad this general Islam is the specific Islam that the Prophet Muhammad came with. In the sense that all the doors leading to paradise have been closed, uh, after saying the Prophet Muhammad anyway, And I'll come to more detail about that shortly. Uh, the, we should know that therefore Islam means to submit to Allah and to um, follow or obey the Prophet which was sent in that time with whatever Sharia he had therefore Islam when it, at one time was to face Jerusalem as a Qibla and prayer and when that was abrogated it became acceptable only to face Mecca in prayer so now if somebody to face Jerusalem in prayer he really says Muhammad is the messenger of Allah is, is not upon Islam. It has been abrogated. Even though one time during the, the sending of the Prophet for 17 months, from the institution of Salah, for the first 17 months, they were facing Jerusalem in prayer. And then Allah decreed that it be faced Mecca. Um, likewise, we should know that against Islam is two matters. Refusal to submit to Allah, and the willingness to submit to Allah, to submit to others with Allah. So if you to submit to Allah, Allah has described that in Surah Al-Ghafir, before the Surah Al-Quran. He says that those who are too proud, who are too proud to submit or worship me, okay? they will enter into the hellfire in a state of humiliation. So if some of mankind uh, are too proud to submit to Allah, they don't have time for religion, you know, they don't want to listen to these matters and so forth, and therefore, they will go to the hellfire. Even the American is shirking that in the specific sense. The second thing which is against Islam is those who submit to Allah but submit to others with Allah. Like the Christians who commit shirk. Okay, the first group would be like atheists or people who have no time for religion and so forth. Like Iblis, Satan, you know, who was too proud to obey Allah subhanahu Or those people who are, uh, because we should know that the types of kufr are five types, right? The first type of kufr is that one of denial. 
when the person does not believe, he does not believe that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is truly a prophet. He says, he was just a man and a lady who appeared. Whether he thinks he was a, a noble person, I think he was an evil person, does not believe in that. He doesn't believe in the day of judgment. He doesn't believe in Allah. This is one type of uh, disbelief. Second type of disbelief is knowing the truth, but refusing to submit to it, because of one's arrogance. Like the Jews, who refused to submit to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They used to, in Medina, the Jews were foreign to Arabia. I mean, they came to Arabia, and they lived amongst the Arabs, and the Arabs, before saying the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, were Persian people. They used to worship idols as intermediaries between them and Allah. And the Jews were people of the scripture, and they understood the content of Tawheed, even though they, they had some um, breaches in their Tawheed, like they're insulting Allah, saying that Allah slept on the seventh day, rested on the seventh day, and saying that Allah was poor, and that Allah was stingy, and so forth. And these are some of the lies, and some of them saying that Allah has a son being Israel or Ezra. Uh, but in general, they had a, a better understanding of Tawheed than the pagan Arabs. So they used to say to the pagan Arabs in Medina, that uh, because they were, you know, in a weak position among the Arabs, there were a few, and there were, and each of them, each Jewish tribe had to sort of find a, a protector from another Arab tribe to sort of defend them. They used to say to them, a prophet's going to come soon. They knew the time to turn the prophet on Sallallahu And when he comes, we're going to fight with him against you and destroy you. Allah destroyed Ad and Thamud, which were two peoples who lived in Arabia thousands of years or uh, centuries before that. And the Arabs were aware that they were destroyed, you know, by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And uh, that is why the people of Medina became accepted the message of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi So when the Prophet appeared, they were, in their ears, they had heard that there was a Prophet coming. So when the Prophet appeared, they recognized that this is what the Jews were warning them about. They said, well, it's best for us to do then, to become Muslims. While the other Arabs, from the other tribes of Arabia, since the Arabs had no Prophet before the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Yes, Ismail, their forefather, was a Prophet sent by Allah. But that was, was thousands of years before the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Therefore, they had completely forgotten the idea of prophethood. And it was unknown to them. Unlike the Jews who have, you know, like if you look in the, in the Old Testament and so forth, prophet after prophet was sent to them through their evil generations. As the Prophet Muhammad said, that whenever a prophet would die, you know, Prophet said that this Ummah is ruled by Khulafa, successors of the prophet. In the sense that there are men, well, they're not prophets, and then when everyone dies, the Muslims choose another Khalifa as a prophet. But the people, the children of Israel, they were ruled by prophets. Whenever a prophet would die, Allah would give him another prophet, and that's from his blessings he gave to them. But still, they were very, you know, corrupt people. They would kill their prophets and so forth, and, you know. However, though, so they were unaware of the concept of prophethood, and that's why the other Arab tribes did not accept the message of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi But the Ansar, because they lived next to the Jews, they were familiar with that prophet was going to come, so they quickly believed in him. But okay, what about those Jews who used to say that to the Ansar? What happened to them? The Prophet Muhammad they know him, they recognize Muhammad Sallallahu as they recognize their own sons. But yet, of all the Jews, only one Jewish rabbi became a Muslim. Abdullah bin Salam, right? He was the only one who became a Muslim from the Jewish rabbis. And when he came to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and he was a leader, he was a leading Jewish rabbi. When he came to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and he, he acknowledged that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu was a messenger of Allah, he said, I'm afraid that if I, if I announce this, the Jews will sort of, you know, as, as is the practice of the Jews throughout history, that whenever they're against somebody, they, like, rip his character apart in public. So he was a fool of some sort of thing like this. So the Prophet did some sort of, uh, not trick, let's say, but did some sort of test the Jews. Abdullah Salam stood behind some sort of curtain, and the Prophet came to the Jews, and he said, 
how is Abdullah bin Salam amongst you? I mean, how do you reckon him as, as, as one of your rabbis and your leaders? So the Jews, Jewish, other Jewish rabbis said that he is our leader amongst us, and the son of our leader, and he's the best from us, and the son of the best amongst us. So then he came out of the partition, and he said, I testify that there is none worthy of worship except for Allah, that Muhammad is messenger of Allah, they said, he is the worst of us, and they said to curse him. And this hadith was found in Bukhari. So the point is, is that uh, their arrogance led them, even though they recognize the truth, as the Prophet in the Quran, they recognize him as they recognize their own son. Uh, and if you have children, I mean, and had some children play down, would not be confused which one was serious as opposed to the other one. So they knew the Prophet was to that degree that he was messenger of Allah, but yet they did not uh, uh, believe in his message. Now, this doesn't mean that all of them were like that. Because if you find the same surah, Allah says in another passage, close to that passage, He says, Amongst them are ummiyun, amongst them are illiterate. They do not know the scripture except by what they're told. So not all the Jews recognize the Prophet Muhammad's sons and recognize all their sons. So we shouldn't think that every single Jew who we see, he knows that the truth is not. No. So they're not ignorant and Allah says, amongst them are illiterate, people who are, but the point is there are scholars amongst them knew that, especially there are scholars during the time of the Prophet when they would see him and they would recognize uh, his miracles and so forth. Now, so that, that's the second type of kufr. The first type of kufr, of course, is kufr al-Arab. That is a person who doesn't want to take a position this way or that. Okay. Like when the Prophet went to people of Ta'if in the city and he tried to present his message after he found no uh, fortune of the people of Mecca, where he went to another city in Arabia, Pars, and he tried to present his message, and he went to the three chieftains of the city, and one of them said, well, you know, if you're a prophet, you're too noble for me to talk to. And if you're not a prophet, then I, I shouldn't talk to somebody who's going to claim prophet and say he's speaking on behalf of Allah. I mean, you're too low for me to speak to. So in other words, you're not taking a position this way or that. And this is the comfort of many people, that they don't take a position, either affirming the Prophet Muhammad or denying that. Uh, for, uh, that, you know, to be an outcast or so forth, or, uh, you know, wants to destroy Islam from inside, sometimes in motivation. Anyways, the point is, is that against um, Islam is arrogance, refusal to submit to Allah. And this has many forms, as I've mentioned, four or five forms. And the, the second matter is shirk. When you're going to need to submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and however you want to submit others to Allah. For, like those Christians who go to church today, they want to worship Allah I mean, their motivation is one of submitting. Those Christians, or those people in the society who don't get up this morning and go to church, they're the ones who don't want to submit. They're too arrogant. But those who go there, they want to submit. However, when they submit to Allah, they commit shirk. And when they pray with their father and so on, in the name of Jesus, right? Or they, you know, uh, deify the cross and acts of matters like this, which are shirk or they uh, worship their priests and their rabbis by when the priests and rabbis change the religion for them according to their religion and so forth. Um, so the point is is that to accept, uh, that now that we understand what the word Islam means in the general and specific Islam, uh, the other issue is that uh, what does it mean to be pleased that Islam is your religion? Well, it means to submit to Allah through Tawheed and through obedience to Him. And this means obviously knowledge of Islam, right? Because when how can you submit to Allah through Tawheed if you don't know, I mean, His names and His attributes? How can you submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you don't know what is the reason why He created you? You don't know Tawheed in the sense of Tawheed of worship. 
how can you obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you don't know what He's commanded you and what He's prohibited you from? So this needs knowledge. And likewise, it shows us that the person who commits bid'ah or innovations, he adds something to the religion. Whether it's from his own understanding, he invents something in the religion, or he follows somebody who has in- innovated something in the religion. He's not pleased with Islam as his religion. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this Islam to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And has told us in the Quran that he's completed it. Today I have completed for you religion. And I have perfected my blessings upon you. And I am pleased for you Islam, meaning this Islam which I sent upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa as a religion. This type of submission. So the person who adds to Islam something, even though his motivation might be that of trying to draw closer to Allah with this innovation that he's, you know, added to religion, he's not pleased with Islam as his religion. So what he's done is that this is the Islam that the Prophet Muhammad came with. And yet he sort of feels that there's some sort of shortcoming in it. So he wants to add something to it, or reinterpret it, you know, and then he's pleased with that. So in other words, he's not really pleased that Islam is his religion. So the criterion then, to determine if, is, are you pleased with Islam as your religion, is that, do you submit to Allah through Tawheed and obedience to him? And likewise, what is your position concerning innovations, additions into religion? Are you firm against them? Or do you sort of have a lukewarm position, you know, people can sort of, you know, well, it's your interpretation of Islam, is my interpretation, and, you know, we can sort of do whatever we feel is best. So that's, that's the second matter of, of uh, that to taste the, uh, to ever taste the uh, sweetness of faith, be pleased with Allah as his Lord and Islam's religion. The third matter, and Muhammad has his prophet. What does that mean? Well, that means a number of matters. Firstly, it means the, the certain beliefs. The, the belief that Allah SWT sent Muhammad to all of mankind. So, since Allah sent the Prophet Muhammad over 1400 years ago, all of mankind, whoever is born on this earth, Indeed, even the jinns, from that time and until the day of judgment, and men, children of Adam, from that time until the day of judgment, have to believe and obey this prophet for their success in this world and for their salvation hereafter. This is the, the aim, uh, I mean, this is the first thing that they have to recognize. The prophets before the Prophet Muhammad were sent to specific peoples. The prophets were sent out to the children of Israel, or to their peoples, you know, Ad, Samud, like the stories we know in the Quran. Every pe- people had a messenger. But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu he made all those doors closed to paradise except for coming to the door of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu meaning obeying and believing the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Nobody has a choice in that matter. And this is a, a problem for some people. Some people have a problem sallallahu to accept Muhammad sallallahu uh, For instance, the Jews, they had a problem with accepting a Prophet from the Arabs was not from their own. And that's why they had a big problem in accepting the Prophet Muhammad Also, some people are willing to accept the Prophet Muhammad as a prophet, but they want to cling on to the Sharia of their previous prophet. So it's not uncommon that if you talk to some Christians or to some Jews or to even, you know, they'll say, yeah, I believe that Muhammad was a prophet. But he's unwilling to submit to the Prophet Muhammad Sharia. So yeah, he was a prophet to the Arabs, you know, or as uh, one time I heard a lady said, he's a prophet to people of dark complexion. People like you, he said. Black people like you, he says, as she says, in the science center one time. Now, that's also incorrect. The Prophet said, I've been sent to red and black. Red means people of white complexion. The Arabs call them red because 
uh, the rosiness of their cheek, and so forth. That's the way the Arabs would call them. And black means people who are darker complexions, and so forth. Like people of Africa, the Arabs, and Indians, and so forth. So the point is, Allah, uh, the Prophet said, I've been sent to red and black. Another explanation of the hadith, red means the jinns, because they're created from fire, and black means human beings, because the ground, the color of the ground is usually dark soil and ground. So that's another interpretation of the hadith. Our interpretation is correct. Allah said, I've sent the Prophet to all of mankind, irrespective of their race, irrespective of their previous religion, and likewise also to the jinns. So there's no choice for except to believe in his message. Now, likewise, the Prophet's message is complete in the sense that it's all aspects of life. So, for instance, those, some people, uh, like, especially in the Middle Ages, you find them less now, uh, like were the philosophers, who would uh, might adhere to the Prophet in the sense of they, they recognize some sort of benefit in the Sharia, in the laws of Islam. You know, especially when the Muslims were ascendant in the world, and their culture was this superior culture. People were trying to act like the Muslims. You know, the Christians used to be proud that they used to know a few words of Arabic. And like now, when Muslims are proud, you can say a couple words of English. You know, so uh, they, you know, so the philosophers in the Middle Ages and so forth, you know, centuries ago, uh, used to recognize that the, the the way of life, the Muslim way of life, is the best way of life. So they would adhere to it, but in beliefs. They wouldn't necessarily believe in Allah on the Day of Judgment and so forth. Likewise, the Sufis, another group of people, who would also say we can adhere outwardly to the Sharia, but, you know, the, but the way to come to Allah, draw close to Allah, is through our own tariqah, our own way, you know, of worship, through certain zikr and certain sayings and, you know, dancing and music and so forth, or certain types of spiritual acts. And likewise, today, in a secular world, uh, people might say, well, yeah, I believe in Allah and His Messenger, Muhammad, but, we uh, might division of religion from state. So part of believing in the general nature of the Prophet's message is to believe in the, that so that the Aqid of the Prophet and the Sharia is the Sharia of the Prophet and the politics of the policies of the Prophet Muhammad and the way of life is the way that Allah said the Prophet Muhammad went sent forth. Now the second matter of course is to believe in the finality of prophethood. See, the Prophet Muhammad said that there would not before the Day of Judgment except thirty liars would appear. Each of them would claim that he's a prophet. And this occurred even in the lifetime of the Prophet Muhammad uh, One person came to, from Arabia, Central Arabia, to the Prophet Muhammad His name was Musaylama. And uh, he came with the delegation from his tribe to give bayah to the Prophet to give the oath of religious and enter into Islam. When he went back to his area of Arabia, he decided to call himself prophet. He said, while I was in Medina, Muhammad um, he made me, you know, prophet. So he shared prophethood with me, gave me part of prophethood. And it caused a fitness for the people of Arabia. People of Central Arabia, certain tribes, you know, large tribes in Arabia, uh, after the Prophet's death, followed his call to prophethood. And they fought the Sahaba, and the Sahaba sent armies to fight against them. And likewise in Yemen, also a person appeared during the time of the Prophet right at his death, uh, calling himself to prophethood. And also in Central Arabia, women appeared, claiming that she was a prophet. And as such, throughout history, in the time of companions, another person appeared in Iraq. And even today, we know, for instance, that there are people who claim prophethood, and they have people who follow them. Amongst them would be Elijah Muhammad, right? A lot of people follow him, uh, you know, Farrakhan and so forth, and a lot of people, they say that they're Muslims. Uh, people believe that they're Muslims, and yet they believe that there was a prophet after Prophet Muhammad uh, The Qadianis, or the Ahmadis, as they like to style themselves, believe in Ghulam Ahmed. 
ten years ago or short five years ago, there was a person in Arizona, Rashad Khalif, who claims that he was a prophet. So the existence of people who claim prophethood are, are throughout many, and of these many of them, there will be thirty who will cause some sort of confusion in the minds of people. So then there are only thirty people who will claim prophethood, because more than thirty people have claimed prophethood. It means that their, their claim will become such that people actually will fall for it and accept it. And these are, so there are 30 major liars before the Day of Judgment. And also, part of being pleased that Muhammad is a prophet, we believe in what he says. We accept his sunnah, accept his hadith. A lot of times people will not accept the hadith of Prophet uh, if they find it goes against what their perception of what Islam is, is you know. Even if the hadith is authentic, I and mean, there's no doubt concerning its authenticity in Bukhari and Muslim, for instance. And therefore they have no argument against the authenticity of the hadith. And likewise, to obey him and what he's commanded. To obey Muhammad Sallallahu is equal to obeying Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. There's no difference in that. Allah says, say Muhammad Sallallahu Obey Allah and obey the Messenger. You find more than 30 passages in the Quran where Allah tells us to obey, to follow, to adhere to the command of Prophet Sallallahu warns us against disobeying him, going against his command, and so we're 30 passages in the Qur'an. And likewise, uh, to read what he's forbidden us. Certain things the Prophet Muhammad has forbidden us to do. He's forbidden men to wear silk and gold. So therefore, even though we do not find the Qur'an saying that males cannot wear silk or gold, it's still forbidden for us to wear silk or gold, because the Prophet has forbidden us such. And likewise, that we worship Allah according to the Sharia, According to the way of the Prophet Muhammad We cannot worship Allah according to the way of a previous Prophet. Prophet Muhammad said, if Moses was alive today, he would have no recourse except to follow me. Even though Moses came with a great Sharia, the Torah. You know, and um, Allah always links. If you find the Quran, you always find that Allah, read the, when you read the Quran, always find that Allah links the Torah with the Quran. He always mentions the Torah, and then you find a message, he mentions the, a passage, he mentions the Quran right after that. Or he mentions the Quran and he mentions the Torah after that. Or he mentions Moses and then he calls people to worship, uh, to, um, he, he mentions Moses and then he calls people to believe in the Prophet Muhammad. Throughout the Quran you find Allah linking Moses with Muhammad. The Torah with the Quran. Because they're so similar to each other. Because the, the Torah was a Sharia which had a lot of laws in it. And Moses was a prophet like the Prophet Muhammad who came with the Sharia and was one of the prophets who was also you know, taught to wage jihad and to make a state and you know, to apply the Sharia to its fullest. The difference was the, the Jews, when they were told by Moses to enter into the, into the Holy Land and fight the Philistines, which were the Palestinians, which were idol-worshipping people, they said, no, we're sitting here. You and your Lord go fight. You see? And, um, and as soon as the law saved them, from Pharaoh, as one scholar said, their feet hadn't dried from the cross of the sea. They took the calf as an object of worship. So this means they were not a, a, a people who were willing to, to, to fight and to struggle, even though they were Muslims and they believed in the message of, the, of Allah and the Prophet. Obviously those who were the calf were disbelievers, but I mean, those who were cowards were not disbelievers, they were just, just poor faith. But look at the Ansar. When the Prophet was shy, because, you know, the Muhajirin from Mecca were from his tribe, they were from Quraysh. So when it came time, in order to fight the first battle of Islam in Badr, 
Prophet was certain the people of Quraysh would fight for him because this is the it was Arab Prophet, the people of the tribe would fight for his tribe, you know, and these were also believers in his message. Prophet was shy and also he wasn't sure what was going to be the response of the Ansar. Because the Ansar went from his tribe. They might not be willing to fight. So what did the head of the Ansar say? And the Ansar said, We're not going to say like the Jews said to Moses, Go you and your Lord, go and fight. And we say, Go and fight and we'll be with you. This was the difference between the two, the companions of the Prophet Moses and the companions of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Funny that Allah links the, the message of the Torah and the Quran, and He also links the message of uh, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Prophet Moses because there's much similarities in them, and therefore He shows the truthfulness of that. The point is, is that one can only must worship Allah through the Sharia of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and that is why Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that even if Moses was alive today, he would have no recourse except to follow me. Another hadith, he said, there's not a single Jew or Christian from this Ummah. What does he mean from this Ummah? It means from those who lived after the sending of the Prophet Muhammad Because there are two Ummahs. In the Prophet Muhammad's Ummah is two types. The Ummah of Da'wah, which means all of the men and jinns who have lived since the sending of the Prophet Muhammad until the day of judgment. This is the Ummah of Da'wah. Then there's the Ummah of Response, those people who say, La ilaha and have accepted the message of Islam, right? So the Prophet says there's not a single Jew or Christian from this Ummah, meaning from those Jews and Christians who have lived in his time and the day of judgment, who hears about me and doesn't believe in me, said that he'll be in the hellfire. So the Prophet also put the condition that he has to hear about him, and the message of Islam has to reach him. And then he decides not to accept it. And the final matter we may mention is that to love the Prophet Muhammad Sallam, the one who loves the Prophet Muhammad Sallam becomes above the love of uh, even the soul with his own body. As Prophet Muhammad said in the hadith of Anas al-Bukhari, uh, that none of you truly believes until I am more loved by him uh, than, his, than his parents, his children, all of mankind. And what assists us in loving the Prophet is by reading about his life, his sirah, reading his hadith, you see, and then therefore we uh, develop a love of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu So, uh, being pleased that Muhammad Sallallahu is our Prophet means that we believe in the general nature of his message to all the jinns, to all of mankind, no matter what their religion is, nor or what uh, their uh, race or people are. Likewise, that we believe in the general nature of his message that it covers all aspects of life, beliefs, worship, politics and so forth, and one does not say, I'm going to follow the Prophet in one aspect of life and reject to follow another aspect. Uh, that we believe whatever he says, we obey him whatever he's commanded, that we leave whatever he's prohibited, we worship Allah according to his sharia, and that we love him more than anybody else, even our own souls. And with that, so that's the meaning in brief, of course, and it's, you know, it's a very important topic. Uh, this is what it means to the hadith process which we're explaining that whoever uh, t- uh, that he has tasted the sweetness of faith who is pleased that Allah is his Lord and that Islam is his religion and that Muhammad Sallallahu is his prophet now we come to the last thing is that when a person is put into his grave everybody, uh, everybody's going to die as Allah says in the Quran right every soul will taste death so what is the questions that the angels ask us in the grave three questions yeah, who is your Lord? What is your religion? And who is your prophet? And notice that this is the same three things the Prophet mentioned in this hadith. 
that he has tasted faith, who was pleased with Allah as his Lord, and Islam as his religion, and Muhammad as his prophet. And that's why the believer in the grave Allah will allow him to say that Allah is my Lord, Islam is my religion, and Muhammad is my prophet. As far as the disbeliever, or the hypocrite, the one who said that he believed and had no faith in his heart, he will say, ah, ah, which is a, which is a word in Arabic that means a, it's a pain. As he's, he's trying to remember something, he says, I heard that people say something, but uh, I forgot. You know, so, so uh, uh, yeah, I used to say it. I, you know, I used to say that. So he was not really certain that, I mean, he had no faith in his heart. He just used to repeat his parents were Muslim or, you know, his friends was a Muslim or his wife was a Muslim, so he became a Muslim or vice versa. He had no really faith in his heart and so forth. So therefore, the person who has tasted faith in this world and is pleased with Allah as his Lord and pleased with Islam as his religion and pleased with his prophet, as Muhammad as his prophet, as we've explained the meanings of which, uh, some shed some light on some of the meanings of that, he will respond correctly in his grave when he dies. And he will, when the angels come to him, which is something which will happen to every uh, person except for the one who dies as a shaheed, the martyr who dies in the battlefield, is one of the excellent qualities of jihad that he will not be questioned. And likewise, the one who dies uh, guarding the borders of Islam. I mean, he's not asking to be engaged in battle, but he's guarding the front from attack, you know. He won't be um, asked. And, of course, the prophets aren't asked because about them, mankind is questioned. Uh, as far as the baby, the child who, is, who dies before reaching, um, reaching um, uh, uh, puberty, um, the scholars have differed. Is that child asked or not? Some say no because it never reached the age of being responsible for its deeds. And some say yes because the hadith mentioned everybody as a, a person. So they might be asked also. And a lot of best. But the point is, is that if you taste faith in this world by being pleased in Allah as your Lord and the Son's religion and Muhammad as your prophet, then you'll be successful in the day of judgment. I mean, in your grave when you're asked by the angels. And if you don't taste that in this world, because of one's ignorance, one's uh, 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 disconcern for knowing what faith is and, and knowing how to taste the sweetness of faith, uh, then you're sure to fail uh, in your grave. And we ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to protect us from that. And uh, with this, um, I close my lecture. Subhanahu wa Hamdika, bihamdika, shalomayla and stafrotubulek. And inshallah, next week we'll go back to the fiqh uh, lecture. Inshallah, Taala. And um, I guess if there's some questions, we can go about and answer. Because we, we want to vacate the room by one, we will only have a chance for about five minutes for questions. So we won't make the last. And we have books for sale, space, and uh, then uh, we want to add something to show. Um, this is just one question we write down to the paper show. Or Oh, yeah, sisters, I said, sisters. Right. The prophet's priests, they came to, you know, their tribe or the children. Did that prophet also come to the jinns? The jinns have, as mentioned in the Quran, that they have something called nidhar, which is plural word nidhir, warners. Okay, and, and these warners were from the jinns themselves. But, you know, as Allah says in the Quran, that the jinns, when they believe the Prophet, they said, We've heard a, a book like the book which was revealed to Moses. You see? So even the jinns connect 
So there's a balance in that. And uh, the Prophet said, I am the prophet of war and the prophet of mercy. Prophet of one person. So he's shown that he's got both qualities. He's got of harshness against the disbelievers and disobedient, and kindness and gentleness towards the believers. Uh, the Jews Allah balanced them, tried to balance their ummah. Either they had the harshness in the sharia of, in, in their behavior of Mo, uh, in, with Moses and then the, the kindness of the Christians. And likewise, that's how the, the, the two ummahs which came from them. The Jews are harsh in their heart and in their behavior and are very, you know I'm saying, cruel. And the Christians are usually gentle and soft and so forth, as, as a general rule. This is a general rule, specifically, every single one Christian Jew. So the the point is, so they're all, you know, the, the all of these. Uh, so Allah the Quran, He says that the people who have shown the most enmity are the Jews, and that's because of the uh, nature of them. While the Christians, their nature is one of of kindness and gentleness, usually. Okay, and second of all, because the the second reason why they're the most enmity is because the Jews have knowledge, and they don't want to follow it. They usually know the truth and they want to follow. The Christians are the opposite. They don't know the truth. They want to follow the truth, but they don't know what the truth is. So they go astray. That's why Allah calls the Jews, He says, غير المغضوب عليه, not those who have incurred Allah's anger. The Prophet says they're the Jews. They have knowledge, they don't want to follow it. They know the Prophet them as they know their own sons. The Christians are Bali. They've gone swerved off the path. They want to do good. They want to, you know, worship Allah. They want to be kind to mankind, but... Since they have no knowledge, they follow their desires, they swerve off the path. The second group that Allah mentions is وَالَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا that you'll find them the most severe and their enmity towards you. These are the mushriks, the, the, the pagans, okay? Because the people of a scripture are usually closer to the Muslims than the people who have no scripture. And these are the, the enemies of the prophets and their followers. The Jews and the Christians are people of a scripture, but they deviate it. You see what I'm saying? That's why we have enmity between us and them. But in, in, originally, they were people of a scripture, people of a truth, and following their prophets. Those people who commit shirk, you know what I'm saying? Those people who, in this sense, everything actually means, in this sense, means the pagans, okay? Those who have no prophet, and no scripture, like the Hindus, the Buddhists, uh, the animists, who else would be, like the... Uh, people in Japan and China and Africa and all these, you know, people, pagan peoples around the world, the, the pagan Arabs before, they're the most severe hatred. And you can just see, like, for instance, the, the Hindus, the treatment of the Hindus, for instance, with the Muslims, for instance, how they're very severe, or the treatment of certain tribes uh, in Africa towards the Muslim tribes, you know, how they, how they treat them, uh, the, those pagan tribes, animist tribes. They show an enmity and a severity against the Muslims, which is much severe, more severe than, for instance, sometimes the people who book, sometimes people who book feel some sort of affinity with the Muslims, sometimes. So this is, this is uh, what Allah meant in that verse. So the, the Jews and the Christians and all the schools are enemies of Allah, and the Jews and the, and, the, and, the, and the pagans have a more severe animosity toward the Muslims, for the reasons that I mentioned. That's the point of the